Irvine, 88.9. week we had Sarah Clothier on from the American Film Institute catalog and we learned about all the films that they catalog over there and um, they have a great library that I get to check out once a week it's really fun and um, next week I'll be in library schools alternative spring break program so I won't be here we'll be in libraries in Puerto Rico observing fun stuff So um, I want to let you guys know a little bit about the history of libraries so then we can tell you about why librarians are important. Check it out. Religious or government records, but shortly after we begin to find stories in this. Archaeologists also found marks labeling each tablet on the side and lists of the titles on separate tablets, an early form of cataloging. At this time in China, scholars were writing on books made of bamboo sats and silk, which rolled up easily for storage but took up a lot of space. Other texts, however, such as Buddhist writings, carved on stone so that cheap copies could be made by rubbing over them with ink. Each dynasty regularly destroyed the books of the previous rulers, however, so very few bamboo and silk texts remain today. Shortly after this, the Greeks, who had also begun by writing on clay tablets, began using an adapted version of the Phoenician alphabet and writing on scrolls. This made literacy easier and more common, which in turn increased the book trade, which enabled wealthy individuals to begin building private libraries, which led to the eventual creation of one of the most revered libraries of all time, the Great Library of Alexandria. The Great Library of Alexandria, of which literally nothing remains, was built in Alexandria, Egypt in around 300 BC. It was called, at the time, a museum, which referred to a temple for the worship of the muses. Egypt was a richer country than many of its neighbors, and had a rich crop of papyrus, thus giving the Egyptian rulers control and ability to produce and collect books. Unlike modern libraries, Alexandria stored the scrolls in bundles on shelves, and only a librarian was allowed to retrieve them, delivering them to the scholars in buckets. In addition, each scroll was apparently marked with a tag on one end, which bore the author's name and ethnicity, as well as other cataloging information. Interestingly enough, Alexandria was the first known library to use an alphabetical order for organization, though they only used the first letter. It was not until after the Roman Empire was well established that books similar to what we have today came into being. The Romans took a pre-existing idea of wooden boards bound together, changed it to parchment and papyrus, and added a great many more pages. This new form of book, called a codex, added both ease of use and capacity, since both sides of each page could now be written off. The codex replaced the scroll only gradually, but by 500 AD, 90% of all books were codices. After the fall of Rome, the preservation of ancient texts was left to monasteries during the Middle Ages. Scribes and copyists slowly, painstakingly reproduced books. Copying the Bible, for example, took 15 months. The Order of St. Benedict was perhaps one of the most influential in the book world of the Middle Ages. 
As their guide, the rule of monks required each monastery to own at least one book for every brother and advocated specified periods for manual labor as well as for careful reading. In China, meanwhile, paper had been invented by the second century. Block printing, done by carving a woodblock and then inking the letters and pressing paper onto it, had been invented by the 8th century and movable type by the 11th, centuries before it appeared in Europe. One of the largest and most interesting ancient Asian libraries was active during this time, beginning at around the 4th century, the Cave of the Thousand Buddhas. For several centuries, the monks collected texts by using the Silk Road, eventually ending up with over 15,000 paper books and 1,100 bundles, each of which contained dozens of scrolls. Included in the collection is a version of the Old Testament written in Hebrew, Tibetan scrolls, Buddhist texts written in Sanskrit, and the oldest known printed book. During the Renaissance, books flourished. The increase of demand in both private libraries and the new universities and colleges improved the book trade and caused many more books to be copied. Contact with Islamic libraries also helped to introduce ancient works which had been suppressed or ignored by the monasteries. The price of books was so great that universities chained their books to the shelves to prevent theft. The hugely increased demand for books, however, led to Johann Gutenberg's invention in 1450 of the printing press, which revolutionized the book trade in Europe. Although by the mid-16th century printed books dominated, no respectable collection was considered complete without a few beautiful handwritten manuscripts, as best exemplified by the Medicis, the patrons of the arts, in Florence, whose library was designed by Michelangelo himself. The first subscription library, the precursor to the modern public library, was opened in 1731 by the Gento, an organization of men which met on Friday evenings to discuss politics, morals, and natural philosophy. As one of their most prominent members, Benjamin Franklin, wrote, they began by placing all of their books together at a member's house so that all would have the advantage of using the books of all the other members, which would be nearly as beneficial as if each owned the whole. In 1731, 50 members contributed funds to open the Library Company of Philadelphia. For an initial fee and annual dues, members could borrow and read all the books they wanted, and the idea quickly spread across the colonies. The Boston Public Library was founded in 1848 as the first publicly supported municipal library and quickly became the model for modern public libraries everywhere. The Boston Public Library also began the non-circulating reference books policy which is used across the United States today. But the evening is worn away, the readers are gone, the deep-toned center bell strikes ten, and it is time to close the library. So that's the history of library, thanks to the history of library lecture right there. Now, why do we, the world need librarians? Let's hear about that. Why does the world need librarians? Okay, so with platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, a bevy of blogs, and the rest of the social media sphere making it ever easier to create content as an individual, suddenly we find ourselves hurtling towards total information overload. Some tools like Google might be able to help us wade through the cloud, but as its algorithm is based on a page ranking system, it's not necessarily going to give you the most relevant results, just the most popular. Beyond social networks, we mustn't forget Icon has Cheeseburger, Texts from Last Night, Like a Little, 4chan, and the other internet meme bases and forums. As the memes enter popular culture, being able to find them a second time becomes ever more important to some people. So where do librarians come in? Fully trained information professionals are uniquely suited to cut through the insurmountable hedge of information overload and have the weaponry required to do so. 
Armed with master's degrees, sensible shoes, and machetes, the new generation of sexy librarians help their patrons pinpoint exactly what they're looking for, even when they don't know themselves, and will continue to bushwhack a path to relevance. Librarians have the skills to serve their public, and these days aren't simply doing so from behind the reference desk. Librarians are the ground troops of the information age, and are just as likely to be finding and sharing vital information out in the field as they are to be safeguarding the collective knowledge of humanity. Librarians are indelibly connected to libraries, it's true, but just as more library collections are being put online, so is it more likely to find a librarian armed just with a smartphone answering reference questions in your local cafe. Why does the world need librarians? Without them, we wouldn't be able to find a thing. With them, educating their chosen populations, students are better researchers, scholars gain access to resources they'd never expect, and everyone is able to find the information they need to make their world a better place. Yes, the world will be a better place, and not just here in the United States. Check out what they're doing overseas. It's the libraries of the future from JISC. Academic libraries are changing faster now than at any time in their history. The traditional role of the library as a physical space housing racks of books and papers is coming under increasing scrutiny. The library stands at a crossroads, but which direction will it choose? Libraries are, are, are at a pivotal moment in our history. We're able to use technology and reach out to people around the world. In 10 years time, if we were to go and look at university and college libraries, we wouldn't recognize them. I would say many of them won't exist in the physical state that they do now. In the digital age, there is an ever-increasing amount of information available to us in a wide range of different formats. And change will be driven by the people that use this information. The first place I go to for information is Google. I actually don't even think about it. I just uh, do a Google search. It's quite rare that I actually do um, a resort to printed information. Students and researchers find their information needs are changing. I think they're looking for very current, very contemporary information as well as historic uh, data. The students uh, need their information on the go. They're using their mobile devices and they're using their laptops and they're also needing, of course, uh, to use the kind of PCs that we offer in, uh, in the university. I usually start uh, with an internet search for information and then I'll go uh, to online journals or to books, though. I still rely on actual books <laughs> for a lot of information. While demand for change is coming from users, it is technology that is making it possible to meet this demand. As more and more resources are available on the internet via search engines, students and researchers now expect to be able to access information around the clock from almost anywhere in the world and via a growing number of devices from laptops to phones. Technology has a big impact on the way we access information these days. Um, it's making information more mobile. It's uh, allowing us to get information from all corners of the globe. So technology is adapting to meet the needs of users. But is it more than that? Is it also a catalyst for change? 
We see technology as both an enabler of change as well as a change agent in itself. So technology can help people to do things better, but also people have to change to use technology effectively. So what will the library of the future look like? With the rapid pace of technological change, it is impossible to predict the future, but some popular themes have emerged. Library of the Future will probably focus less on informational content and provide more of a, uh, a space for communal exchange and sharing of ideas. Even if I'm working on a laptop or looking at resources online, I still find that I go to a library as a place to work because if I try and work in my room, it just doesn't happen. I would see the Library of the Future in the West as being one that's very much electronically based, but I think globally, like if you go to libraries in India, people still use card catalogs and are very much reliant on books. The physical Library of the Future will look, I think, like a beehive. It's all about creating a sense of community and excitement about the discovery of ideas. You have a lot of transparency so people can see and be seen. You have spaces where people can actually have a conversation together. You have food. You see softer furniture. The latest advances in technology are available to bring films or audio into the library. There are countless visions of the future but we can already see things happening around us that hint at what is to come. Internet search engines have already had a dramatic impact on the way people look for information. People are starting their searches with Google, and that's one of the ways in which libraries are changing. They're putting their information available so that people will discover it through Google. I see Google as the library's partner, and I see us as being able to contribute to uh, this knowledge base that's available in the world where Google has made this wonderful discovery tool so that people can not just find things but actually contribute to it. And what of the librarians themselves? What does the future hold for them? Librarian of the future will be as much of a network administrator and IT specialist as a, a literature specialist. I think people have this idea of librarians as, uh, as, as highly introspective, uh, detail-oriented people, and I, I find that the kind of person who's coming to work in the library these days is, is more entrepreneurial, more engaged, more outward-looking. Librarian is sort of being phased out because everything can be done through computers and electronically. Even card catalogs, you don't need to speak to someone here, you can just scan your books so there won't be a need for librarians. The more that we provide electronic access to information for our users, the less face-to-face -face, uh, contact there is with our users, and therefore I could see that to some extent some people might think that the librarian is no longer an important uh, person in their lives. But of course we are, because we are the ones who are actually bringing the information to them. People talk about uh, Google, of course. Well, actually, Google doesn't uh, create information, doesn't catalogue or classify information, doesn't store information. It's only a gateway. Information is being provided by a whole range of other people. Speaking as an academic, I rely also on my own librarians to find stuff for me as well as ordering it myself. But I certainly don't think they're a dying breed. One body that is supporting libraries as they find their place in the future is JISC. 
For well over a decade, JISC has been committed to understanding the changing needs of library users and helping librarians to meet those needs by using technology more effectively. We all see libraries as being an absolutely central part of education and research, and that is what is putting the UK at the forefront of many economic markets. And we see the libraries as a fundamental part of that, but in the age of the internet and with the other digital opportunities that there are there for people now, Libraries really need to change the way they work and the way that they support learning, teaching and research. Um, and so what we've been doing is investing many millions of pounds in change programmes and also services, digital library services, that help the libraries to support learning, teaching and research. As a library director, I think that JISC has really helped us as leaders to get our heads above the kind of the operational, which often just drags us down in our own uh, environments and our own institutions, because we can go uh, as part of a JISC think tank. Then, of course, we can come back and we can do that strategic thinking a little bit more easily in our own backyards. These issues are of critical importance, not just to libraries. It's not just about our future. It's really about the future of our society because libraries have traditionally had the role of, of providing free and democratic access to knowledge but we need to think about how do we carry that forward in a new environment in a technology enriched environment that is global that is international uh, that is uh, really multidisciplinary uh, JISC has really laid the foundation for these discussions in a year-long um, campaign or, or debate about the future of libraries. And I think we need to take that forward. This debate is absolutely essential for the future of education and research in the United Kingdom, and I would say in the world, actually. We need to get this right. So this is the right time to be having this debate. People have a lot of misconceptions about libraries. They think libraries are irrelevant or they're gathering cobwebs or they're just a pile of old musty books. But actually libraries are very happening places these days. While the future is constantly shifting, one certainty is that if libraries are to remain as important to the future as they have been to the past, they must act now and plan for what is to come. If you would like to take part in the debate on the future of libraries, visit www.jisc.ac.uk. So that was about three years old. Um, still, I guess, pretty current, but um, we've already changed a lot in the last three years, so I'm not as worried as they make it sound out to be. And um, it made me wonder, what's JISC all about? So historically, the acronym stood for Joint Information Systems Committee, but they've evolved and um, they're more UK, I guess, and international as an Information Systems Committee. Not necessarily, but the digital technology is um, what they're changing. And it's a research, teaching, and learning center apparently so but that was a helpful video I enjoyed but I don't like what they said about not needing librarians because really you do like they said um, after it's just Google's a gateway the people providing the information creating the information or cataloging organizing and everything that's librarians you always need that and we're not just uh, book people or IT people like I like the entrepreneurial idea 
that was pretty good. And then, um... It's funny, because the first thing I shared was the history of library. Somebody made in 2010. Then there was why does the world need librarians? And that was uh, 2011. And I wanted to share with you something from 2010 as well um, about how ebooks impact libraries because that's pretty relevant I think too. But just a quick little thing here. Here's a listen. Right now is being willing to consider some pretty bleak scenarios for libraries and think of ways out of them. So with that said, the following is my personal opinion. Libraries are screwed. Libraries are screwed because we are invested in the codex, and the codex has become outmoded. Now, technologies, they can become obsolete, they can become outmoded. Outmoded is different from being obsolete. The codex isn't worthless, it's not crappy, it doesn't suck, it's not pointless, it doesn't ha offer no value, but it is outmoded, meaning that it has been replaced by an increasingly convenient format that usually becomes less expensive. Now, interestingly enough, that's not really happening with ebooks yet because of who's in control, and we'll talk more about that as we go. But as this is happening, the it's not just the format shift from the codex to the ebook. It's also not just a change of text delivery format, but it's a move away from content that is ownable and shareable. And that's a problem when your organization is in the business of owning and sharing content. You know, the more heavily invested you are in a media format, the worse you get screwed when that media format becomes inevitably outmoded. And you can ask any library that circulated laser discs how they fared uh, in the mid-80s when that technology kind of flamed out. And of course, there weren't very many libraries that circulated laser discs because back then we were pretty much focused on just the book. We hadn't really had the AV boom yet. Uh, going even further, uh, the faster the format becomes outmoded, the faster you get screwed, regardless of the quality of the content encoded into the format. Everyone agrees Lost in Translation is a pretty awesome movie, but here you can see on eBay, uh, nobody wants a copy of Lost in Translation in a high-definition format because it's the wrong high-definition format, and it wouldn't even sell for 99 cents with one one hour left to go on the, uh, on the auction. So it's not just about the media format and our physical investment. Despite our efforts to the contrary, the brand of libraries is the book temple. Come to the book temple and get yourself some books. And of course we change that and avid library users know that there's more to it. But if you talk to, if you do a market study, you'll find that the, the, the brand of libraries is books. And that can be a little bit problematic. And here's our first bonus question. Does anybody know what library this is? And if you are my Kansas peeps, you, you don't get to answer. That's not fair. So. Uh, our values and our operation parameters and even our physical facilities are all built around the codex. Uh, but as the codex becomes outmoded, again, replaced by an increasingly convenient alternative, if libraries can't disassociate themselves from the codex and its requirements, the memorial library can quickly become a library memorial. So, but this isn't the first time this has happened. Libraries have been through this before. Uh, you know, the first libraries were cuneiform. Uh, that was, the, other than cave walls, of course. We started with the cave walls, and then we had things that were slightly more mobile, the cuneiform. And then, can you imagine the hand-wringing and dire predictions that came to our industry when mobile technology came onto the scene and shook up our collections? I mean, we need a whole new strategic plan. 
And full circle with the history of libraries. There you go. Get excited. Support your library. I love libraries. Thanks for listening to Our Digital Future with me, ZBZ, Thursdays at 8.30 a.m. And have a great finals week, UCI, Zot Zot. And look forward to your spring break. Stay tuned for more great public affairs programming as we've got Deanne up for Nonprofits for Us, 9 to 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. And one more thing. I think you want to hear this really great health information public service announcement because that's what we heard um, 8 to 8.30 with really great public affairs. Here's some information for you. The University of California, Irvine, provides the community with Orange County's only School of Medicine and University Medical Center. Hi, I'm Dr. Ralph Clayman, Dean of the UC Irvine School of Medicine. I'm happy to bring you this medical 